0: Well, let me invite you to take your Bible this morning and find the book of Exodus in chapter number four. Exodus chapter number four. In these weeks, as we launch into the new year, we're studying together these two chapters, Exodus chapter three, Exodus chapter four, understanding together that the people of God, the Israelites, are in bondage. They're slaves in Egypt. And they've been crying out to God, crying out to God for help and for deliverance. And the Bible says that God heard the cries of his people. And in Exodus chapter 3, there is this life-changing encounter that Moses has with God at what's called the burning bush. The bush is burning, but it's not consumed. And it's in that bush, it's through that bush that God speaks to Moses. God says to Moses, Moses, take your shoes off for you're standing on holy ground. Moses, I have an assignment for you. I'm calling you out. I'm calling you out of the wilderness. I'm calling you out of exile. I've heard the cries of my people and I'm calling you out. I'm sending you to Pharaoh. I'm sending you to Egypt that you would deliver my people out of slavery, out of Egypt into a new land, a land flowing with milk and honey, a a land that I am promising them. Well, we've studied together that Moses gives excuse After excuse, after excuse, Moses doesn't want to go. Moses doesn't want to be the guy. So Moses gives all of these excuses. And you and I have studied that together, and we've kind of declared together in this new year that as God calls us out of our comfort zone, as God calls us to serve, and God calls us to, to increase in our faith, no more excuses. Well, God gives, or Moses gives, rather, all of these excuses, but the text that I want you and I to study together this morning in Exodus chapter four is what I believe to be the real reason Moses doesn't want to go. The very heart of the why of Moses says, send someone else. And the reason is this. I believe that Moses doesn't want to go And Moses gives all of these excuses because simply Moses doesn't believe anymore. He doesn't believe anymore. I think there was a time that Moses did believe. I think there was a time that Moses did perhaps believe that he was to lead and deliver his people. And maybe that's the reason that he struck the Egyptians. But after he struck the Egyptian that was abusing one of his kinsmen, God didn't reward his behavior. God didn't bless him. In fact, Moses became a fugitive. Moses became and moved and lived for the next 40 years in exile. So I believe there was a time that Moses believed. But he doesn't believe anymore. And so he uses these excuses and he says to God, send someone else. Moses, when we come to Exodus chapter 4, Moses is full of doubt and he's full of unbelief. He's doubting his call. He's doubting his adequacy. It's the reason he says, I'm not a good speaker. I'm not a good communicator. He's doubting his call, he's doubting his adequacy, he's doubting even his willingness when he says, just send someone else. So Moses is full of doubt and full of unbelief. But in that doubt and in that unbelief, God comes to him. And God comes to him in his grace and his mercy. And what I want you to see is what God does for Moses, he'll do for you. And it'll do for me, even in this new year, for some that are watching online and some that are in this room, maybe you're a doubter. Maybe there was a time that you did believe and you had faith, but not so much today. I want us to see what God does and how God speaks to Moses. Exodus chapter 4, we'll we'll begin reading in verse number 1, if you'll stand with me for the reading of God's word. Exodus chapter four, beginning in verse number one, then Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice for they'll say the Lord did not appear to you. You may want to underline that little phrase there, they will not believe. See, I believe that when Moses said that to God, I believe that he whispered under his breath and I don't believe either. They don't believe. And truth be told, I don't believe. But the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. And he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put your hand out and catch it by the tail. And so he put out his hand and he called it and it became a staff again in his hand. But we learned last week, it became much more than a staff, but it became the staff of God. It became a staff in his hand that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. And again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put it inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous, like snow. And then God said, put your hand back into your cloak, and so he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored, like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even These two signs, or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile, pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you took from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. Moses is full of doubt, full of unbelief, and God does for Moses three miracles to help strengthen his faith, and to give Moses confidence. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Before we dive into these three miracles and explore them in detail, let's take just a moment and let's talk about the nature of miracles. We need to understand miracles and how God works and uses miracles not only in biblical times, but even Today. And the first thing that we need to understand as we think about the nature of miracles is let's understand together that any time and every time that God does the miraculous, there is a reason. There is always a reason. When you and I read and study the Bible, we'll actually come to understand that there are in fact five seasons of miracles in the Bible. Five seasons of miracles in which God, when He begins to do the miraculous, does miracle after miracle after miracle. The first is in the creation account. There's the season of miracles in the creation, and there's miracle after miracle when God creates the sun and the moon and the stars and the mountains and the seas, and God creates the animals, and God creates man, and God creates woman, and there's miracle after miracle. For a reason, in the season of creation. There's a second season of miracles in the Bible, and that is in the destruction of the earth through the flood. And again, we see miracle after miracle, animal after animal after animal that's saved, that's rescued. There's a, a third season of miracles that we see, and it's when God delivers the Israelites, out of Egypt into the land of promise. And we see a series of miracles. We see the plagues, we see the Red Sea, we see the manna, miracle after miracle in this season of God delivering his people out of Egypt. There's a fourth season of miracles in the Bible, and it's the season of the prophets when we see miracle after miracle, like through Elijah and through the prophet Elisha, and there is this season of miracles. It's not that God doesn't do the miraculous in between the seasons. We just don't see one after another. Their fifth season we find in the New Testament, in the life and ministry of Jesus, and the beginnings and the establishment of the early church. And we see miracle after miracle after miracle. So what you and I need to understand as the nature of miracles and a principle when it comes to miracles is that any time and every time God does the miraculous, he does it for a reason. He does it for a reason. The second thing that you and I need to understand about miracles and the nature of miracles is that any time and every time God does the miraculous, he does it, listen to me, when he wants, on his timeline, not necessarily your timeline, or when you want, or when you think. Each and every time God does the miraculous, it's always on his Timeline And can I give a testimony? That can be frustrating. It can be very frustrating. Because in my life, I feel like I know when I need a miracle, when I need God's intervention. And there have been many, many times that I've said to God, God, it seems that I'm in a hurry here, but you're not. But when it comes to the miraculous, it's always God's timeline. And that can be so very frustrating. And that's the reason that God again and again, in his, in his word, he tells us to wait, wait, wait. Psalm 37, Psalm 37 and verse seven, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently. Not just Psalm 37, but Psalm 27. Psalm 27, verse 14. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Wait. Wait. Isaiah, Isaiah 40 and verse 31. But they who what? Wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. They who wait, wait. So as we understand miracles, understand that God does, in fact, today, I believe today, God still does the miraculous. God is still in the business of miracles. I believe in many ways this is a season of God doing the miraculous. But he's going to do it when there's a reason for his purpose and in his timing. Pastor, do you believe in miracles? Do you believe that God still does the miraculous? Absolutely. In fact, I believe that Christians today fall into one of two categories. There are Christians who believe in a small God and Christians who believe in a big God. And I am one of those Christians who believe in a big God and I believe that God even today still does the miraculous. Not according to my timeline, not when I think you should do it, but I'm telling you, listen, at God's divine, providential, perfect time, God still does the miraculous. And he does it for Moses. But here's what I want you and I to think about when we think about miracles. It's always a reason. It's always his timing. And it really has to do with our faith. We talked about this last week. In Mark chapter six, Jesus goes to his hometown. He wants to do many great works there, but the Bible says he could not do any great work there because of the people's lack of faith. So we talked last week that unbelief hinders, shackles, handcuffs God. God wants to do the miraculous, but he's limited because of, faith or the lack of faith. It could be that today, it could be that you are like Moses in that you you did believe, and maybe today you sort of believe, but also you're full of doubt. And I have great news for you. I love the story found in Mark chapter 9, when the man comes to Jesus And he says to Jesus, my child is sick. My child is sick. And Rabbi, if you can do something, if you can do anything, would you heal my child? And Jesus responds to the man by saying, if I can, if I can, if only you would believe. And I love, what, I love how the man responds in Mark chapter 9, in verse number 24, and immediately the father of the child cries out and says, I believe, but help my unbelief. L- Lord, there, there is a certain amount of belief that I have. But there's a lot of unbelief. Help my unbelief. I believe this is exactly where Moses was. I did believe, I want to believe, but Lord, help my unbelief. And maybe that is exactly where you are today, listening, watching, here in this room. Lord, help my unbelief. So God in his grace and God in his mercy performs three miracles. To give Moses the confidence that he needed and help his faith that he was in so desperate need of increasing. The three miracles. Let's talk about the miracles for Moses. The first one, we talked briefly about it last week in verse number two. And the Lord said to him, What's in your hand? And he said, A staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. And so he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses ran from it. Amen, absolutely, yeah. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. And so he put out his hand and he caught it and it instantly became a staff again. But not just a staff, but now a mighty rod of God. But here's the question. When when Moses threw that staff down, and by the way, I believe that each of these three miracles are much more than just tricks or parlor tricks, but I believe they have significant meaning for Moses and for us. So let's think about him. As he threw the staff down, the question is, why did God turn the staff into a snake, into a serpent? Why not a bunny rabbit? Why not a cute little puppy? Why something dangerous? Why the serpent? Most scholars believe it's because of this reason. For Moses, and Moses knew this, the serpent was a symbol for the power of Pharaoh. In fact, historians tell us that on the crown of Pharaoh, was a serpent. In fact, there's images of that you can Google and you can see that the crown that Pharaoh would wear, that there would be this symbol, this image of the serpent. It was a symbol of the power that Pharaoh had. So the message that God is communicating to Moses is, Moses, I know that you're fearful and I know that you're fearful of the power that Pharaoh has and yes, Pharaoh has power, he's powerful, but Moses, he's not all powerful. For Moses, the ground, you're standing on his holy ground, because I'm the God of your fathers, I'm the God of Isaac and Jacob, I am Jehovah God, I am the I am And he may be powerful, but I am all powerful. And if you will go in my name, and if you will go in my power, and in my strength, you will overcome. I think it also means more for you and for me. As we think about the serpent, it's also as we read and study the Bible, the serpent is also a symbol of, for who? For Satan for the devil. The Bible says this, maybe in your notes, the book of Revelation, in chapter 12, verse 9, and the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil, and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. And so this first miracle it is a message. It's a message for Moses, but it's also a message for you, and it's a message for me. I have the power over the enemy over Satan. In fact, the Bible says this for you and for me in 1 John. In 1 John chapter 5 verse 18, but we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. Look up here. If you have been born again, and you have the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit living in you, there is absolutely nothing the devil can do in your life. There is nothing the devil can do to you apart from God's permission. So this first miracle for Moses and for you and for me, God, Jehovah God, has power over Satan. There's a second miracle, and I like this second miracle. In this second miracle, God says to Moses, Moses, take your hand, put it in your cloak. He puts his hand in his cloak, he pulls his hand out, and the Bible says in Exodus chapter four, in verse number six, it says that it's leprous, leprous like snow. Leprosy was the scourge of the ancient world. People would have to announce, unclean, unclean, the, the rotting of flesh, the decaying of the body, a, a cancer. And then what does it say in the next verse? In verse number seven, and then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. And so he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like that of the rest of his flesh. So what is this Symbolized. What does it mean? Well, of course, again, we just recognize that that this leprosy was the decaying of the flesh, slowly destroying of the bodies. For one who had leprosy was literally the walking dead. They were dead and their flesh was rotting away. We also know this. We know that in the Bible, leprosy is a symbol or a sign for what? Of sin. Because sin is like a cancer. Sin eats us away. And as we understand this second miracle, God is saying to Moses, I not only have power over Satan, but God has power over sin. Over sin. The Bible says this in the book of Romans in chapter seven. Beginning in verse 24, "'Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me "'from this body of death? "'Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, "'so that I myself serve the law of God with my mind, "'but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. "'And there is therefore now no condemnation "'for those who are in Christ Jesus, "'for the law of the Spirit of life "'has set you free in Christ.'" Here's what Moses was said to do to set the people free. What was God about to do? He was about to demonstrate his power in setting people free. Listen, you and I are born into slavery, slaves to sin, and God did a supernatural work in sending his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who would die in our place, who would become sin for us, that by trusting in him, we might be set free. You and I were once in bondage to sin, but now set free. Here's what it says, these miracles, for you and for me. God has power over Satan. Number two, God has power over sin. And in that power, he sets you free, he sets me free. There's a third miracle here. The third miracle we actually see in verse number nine. And in verse number nine, he says to Moses, if they'll not believe you, even these two signs, or listen to your voice, or uh, you're to do this. You're to take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and that the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. We need to understand this about the Nile. The Nile represented life to Egypt. If there was no Nile, if there was no water source, there was no life. Egypt would die. And God has power over life and death. He not only has power over sin, He not only has power over Satan, but He has the power over life and death. Write this in your notes. Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, He Himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death He might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, The devil and deliver all those who, through fear of death, were subject to lifelong slavery. Here's what God has in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, He has power over the devil, He has power over sin, and He has power over life and death again and again and again. We see Jesus demonstrate that power to Jairus' daughter who was dead he brought back to life. Lazarus, who was dead for four days in the tomb, Lazarus, come forth. God has ultimate power over the devil, over sin, over life, in death, the reason you and I should celebrate, the, you, the reason that you and I should shout every single time we witness a baptism, it's a demonstration of his power. It's not just a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But listen, when a person is baptized, it's recognizing that their old nature, the old them, has died. And they are now raised to walk a new life in Christ, no longing, no longer fearing death. Listen, I trusted Christ. The old Alan was put to death years ago. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Listen, I no longer fear death. Death, where is your sting? Death, where is your power? When I take my last breath here, I'll take my first breath in his presence in heaven. So these miracles, they're for Moses, they're for the Israelites, but they're for you and they're for me. The last thing that I want you and I to see, and I love this, I call it the provision the mission. So God does the miraculous again and again and again. And God continues with the, or Moses continues with the excuses. And the first part of verse number 14, and we referenced it a little bit last week, but then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. Moses, I'm thinking about killing you. <laughs> I'm thinking about killing you, Moses. And I don't know if God just takes a deep breath, but I love in his grace and in his mercy what God does next because that same verse continues, and he says to Moses, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well, and behold, he's coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he'll be glad in his heart. Moses is full of doubt. Send someone else. I'm not even sure if I'm called anymore. I don't know if I'm even capable. Send someone else. But in his mercy, God says, What about your brother? What about your brother? He's a good speaker. As a matter of fact, Moses, he's on his way here now. And he'll be glad to see you. And he'll help you. Could it be that as God is calling you to some some service to him, it, it, it could be a ministry in the context of the local church, but it could be something else in your faith journey that God is calling you to. Could it be that the reason you've not said yes, could it be the reason that maybe you've even offered some excuses is because you think that if you do say yes, if you do lay your yes on the table, you're gonna be all alone. It's just gonna be you. Is it the mission trip? Is it the ministry? Is it the service in the church? What is it that God would, would he he just have for you to live in boldness at home or on your campus or where you work? Whatever it is that he's calling you to, listen to me. God would say to you this morning, what about your brother? What about your sister? What about the brotherhood? What about the sisterhood? This is the beauty of the church. The beauty of the church is that we don't do this by ourselves. In fact, in just a moment, we're going to gather and we're going to partake of communion together. As we celebrate the communion of the Lord, we're going to celebrate the communion of the saints because we don't have to do this by ourselves. What about your brother? What about your sister? Two things very quickly as we prepare ourselves for communion. Every time there's an encounter like this in Scripture, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Elisha, Isaac, Moses, God initiates the contact. He initiates the call, the communication. What is it that God is initiating with you? What is he calling you to or toward or out of? No more excuses. Yes, Lord. Before the call to service, there is a prior call. It's the call to salvation. And it could be that what he's calling you today is that initial step of beginning a relationship with God through his son Jesus. So this morning, the call to salvation, the call to service. No more excuses. No more excuses. Yes, Lord. Would you bow your head with me for just a moment? Our worship team is gonna come and our deacons are going to begin preparing the Lord's Supper. And I'm gonna pray for us and we're gonna have a time of, of preparation, preparing our own hearts. The Apostle Paul said to the early church, examine yourselves, see if you're in the faith. See if there's any unconfessed sin. Prepare your heart for the receiving of the cup and the bread. So we're gonna enter into a time of preparation. Our pastors are going to be standing here at the front, and the altar is open for you to come and for you to respond to the call to salvation, for the call to service. Hey, maybe you need a miracle. Maybe you need the miraculous. Would you ask Him? Would you say, Yes, Lord? Would you cry out to the Lord? Listen carefully. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. Lord, I doubt. God, God, I struggle. Help my unbelief. Let's stand together. Let me lead us in prayer and we'll... Pray together. And, and so Lord, we do pray in these moments that we would examine our own lives. We would examine our own hearts. Are we in the faith? are you calling us to wait are you calling us to cry out to you are you calling us to step out in faith and to say yes Lord you will provide what we need and you'll even provide who we need thank you for our brothers thank you for our sisters so in these moments Lord